This this is the Impressions Exchange Podcast. Impressions Exchange Podcast. Where all topics impacting the graphic imaging and printing industry are addressed via in-depth news coverage, analysis, and timely interviews. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Impressions Exchange Podcast. I'm Ashley Roberts, Managing Editor of the Printing and Packaging Group at NAPCO Media. Today, we're diving into the wide format space. My colleague and guest host in the first part of the episode is NAPCO Media's senior editor, Dan Marks. He took some time to speak with Scott Harvey, chief customer and revenue officer at Aurora Visual and Aurora Packaging Solutions in Mesquite, Texas. The company landed the top spot on this year's Wide Format Impressions 150 list of the largest wide format printing companies in the U.S. and Canada based on annual sales. 14% of its annual sales are in the wide format space, resulting in $378 million with $2.7 billion in sales overall. Dan and Scott talk through Aurora's growth strategy, its primary areas of focus, and its response to some of the biggest challenges facing the printing industry today. Following Dan's conversation with Scott, I speak with my colleague and mentor, Denise Gustafson, editor-in-chief of Wide Format Impressions and editorial director at NAPCO Media. We talk about the Wide Format Impressions 150 list, as well as some trends, and Denise gives a bit of an outlook for 2023. In Wide Format Impressions WFI 150 list, which highlights the 150 largest wide format producers in North America, one company, Aurora Visual, part of Aurora North America, rose to the top, and by a pretty significant margin. According to the list, the company had $378 million in wide format sales during 2021. So what are the factors that lead Aurora Visual to such strong performance? And how does the company view today's and tomorrow's wide format segment? So to tell us more about that um, and what makes the company tick, I'm pleased to uh, welcome Scott Harvey, Chief Customer and Revenue Officer with Aurora Visual. Welcome, Scott. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate you having me. Great to have you here. Hey, why don't we start kind of broadly? Can you tell me about Aurora Group, uh, the company of which Aurora Visual is a part? Uh, what other divisions does it have and what's the primary focus of each? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we are part of the Aurora Group uh, headquartered in Australia. Uh, our stock has changed exchange on the, the Australian exchange. And um, the business over in Australia is really an interesting business because they're primarily focused on the beverage industry from a packaging standpoint. So Ooh. doing a lot of bottles, a lot of cans, closures, caps, those types of devices. Matter of fact, we just did a $250 million capital uh, where we build an energy facility uh, next to our bottling facility. It takes uh, wow. a lot of energy uh, to manufacture glass bottles. Uh, and so part of our uh, commitment to becoming a more sustainable uh, organization uh, was building a high efficiency energy facility located right next to our, our bottling manufacturing. Uh, here in North America, uh, Aurora Packaging Solutions and Aurora Visual are the two companies mm -hmm. that you would know by brand. Inside of uh, Aurora Packaging Solutions are about 2,100 employees uh, and nearly $2 billion in, in revenue uh, and really runs the gamut from uh, wide format displays to high corrugate output uh, to a distribution right. business for all sorts of supplies. And then Aurora Visual is specific to the, the wide format graphic space. So what you would see to support retailers and brand efforts to connect consumers to brands and, and retail outlets. Okay. Uh, so as a Australian company, how did uh, Aurora come to serve the U.S. market and when did that happen? And how did that transpire? Yeah, we're, we're coming up on our, our 10 year anniversary, believe it or not. And it's really just through acquisition. So the roots of some of our organizations uh, go back to the mid-1940s uh, for some of the businesses that have been here in the United States. Uh, Aurora wanted to get into the, the North American market from a growth perspective. And so the acquisitions uh, started back in, in 2013. Matter of fact, I'll be headed over to Australia here the first week of March to celebrate our 10-year anniversary. Um, and in 2017, Aurora Visual uh, came to light where we uh, made a series of four different acquisitions around the country to, uh, to support really a, a fully national model uh, on the large format uh, graphic space. Okay, so let's turn a little bit more to Aurora Visual. Um, as a producer of wide format graphics, um, what are its current markets of focus and uh, what are the primary technologies that are being used um, today? 
Yeah, uh, well, as you would as you would guess, we are in primarily a lot of retail, beauty, health, home improvement, uh, what we call the technology sector, which is really the mobile sector. Uh, you know, brands like um, Verizon, uh, AT and T, and Cricket, and others, to name a few. Um, we really have a, a pretty diverse platform. And so, you know, on the litho side, uh, we are the largest install of, of KBA, 81 inch KBAs okay. uh, in North America. Mm -hmm. And so from a litho output perspective, uh, all sorts of horsepower, couple that into the digital world to what we have with an array of Vutex from EFI, as well as an Izomi in the West Coast. Um, and then just about everything in between from screen to uh, large format for fabric. Uh, yeah. We've got three different Reggianis across the country where we do a full die sub uh, for silicone edge graphics. So a really diverse platform and one in which we kind of provide the marketer the ability to kind of flex their horsepower sure. uh, and what they're looking for from an output standpoint. Really to serve those different channels. Yes. Yeah. Um, as the sort of the top listed producer on the, on the WFI list, um, obviously there are some very strong numbers there. Um, what do you think has led to that strong performance? Is it really an aggressive sales strategy? Is it production capacity? What do you see? <laughs> well, it's as many things, right? There's never a silver bullet as to, to why you're having a, a lot of success in the industry and why we're growing at the rate at which we're growing. I, I will say it comes down to probably a, more of a, a cultural um, a cultural transformation that's really occurred here the last three to five years. And that's being completely obsessed with our customers. Hmm. Um, take, okay. for instance, my title. You know, it, it used to be chief revenue officer and now it's chief customer and revenue officer. And so we want to make sure that we are obsessed with the needs, the expectations, the goals, the objectives that our customers are trying to meet. Uh, because where we're competing today in the brick and mortar uh, world it has just done a 180, especially since the pandemic. Sure. And so I think the growth that we're seeing is because we're aligning our cultural values to those of our customers and ensuring that we're, we're leading that charge. Is there an example of how that cultural shift has had a uh, help to really profoundly build a connection with a customer? And you don't have to name names, but um, how has it helped sort of strengthen that? Yeah, well, I, I tell you, from, from our perspective, it's a little bit about where we're investing our capital into the future. And so when I think of our customers, some of their biggest challenges are centered around uh, ideation and innovation and how do they put forth the next, the next disruptive graphic mm -hmm. um, or package. And so they're, they're chronically looking for materials that uh, will have depth and dimension and lights and movement um, and then they're laying that on top of the fact that they need to be sustainable. Mm -hmm. And so our creative and design team, the investments that we've made there in the last 12 months, uh, we just opened up a brand new innovation uh, design center down in Dallas, Texas, <laughs> about three months ago. And so um, that being obsessed with the, the customer is putting an innovation lab in place so that when our customers come to visit us, they're in an environment where they can be completely creative and get lost about what they're trying to solve for on behalf of their consumer. Do you see it to some degree as a as an effort to be um, where the customer needs you to be right when they need you to be there? Well, it's a, like kind of understanding 20, technology markets, everything else. Yeah, look, uh, it's a twenty four seven world. They want you on in every in every channel of every minute of the day. Correct. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I do believe that going forward more and more of our customer interactions will happen through technology. Yeah. Um, you know, just as they do with so many of the brands that we interact with on our personal lives, you know, they're, most of them are, are now through technology in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. um, we'll, we'll continue to, to see that trend, I think, take place in, in the business to business world as well. Okay, just another quick follow-up on that. Um, do you find that you think um, customers are a bit more savvy now than they used to be in terms of understanding the opportunities out there, the capabilities of equipment, or is that still really up to the PSP to um, guide them through that? I think it's more the latter. Um, what I'll say about today's buyer is they're not nearly as knowledgeable about the production methodologies as the generations before, hmm. but their expectations and their innovation are superior to the generations before. Um, so it's, it's we're, we're at a little bit of a, a disruptive crossroad, if yeah. you will, where 
They think that the print and production process can take place in 24 hours, like getting an Amazon package. Um, and so, so we have to blend those worlds together, right? We have to do our fair share of educating them on the different types of, of outputs that are available to them mm -hmm. and the lead times associated with, with such. But we cannot stifle their creative and innovation because that's what's really changing the industry and enabling great customer experiences inside of retail and brand outlets. Now, uh, in terms of the, the broader customer base, um, obviously there's packaging uh, that Aurora produces, there's a wide format graphics. How much of that is part of sort of an integrated service for, let's say, a customer doing packaging, doing um, POP work, doing other display um, elements for whatever they're doing? Well, obviously, as an executive in the organization, I wish it was all of our customers. Uh, <laughs> right. As you can imagine, we would love to be uh, we'd love to be uh, providing all of our products and services across the entire breadth and depth of the organization. Um, we are starting to see the trend of you know what what's taken place you know probably in the last five to ten years in a in an array of different marketing services where you saw some consolidation happening. We're starting to see that now in our space. And so more and more customers are coming to us, asking us, hey, hey, you, you do our visual graphics in our store. Mm -hmm. Can you provide our in-store materials, our boxes, our bags, our cash register rolls? Um, and so we have a distribution model that will support that fully integrated offering. Um, and they're trying to leverage their scale and their spend with us, obviously, to become more efficient and drive cost out. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it's it's emerging um, as we start to put our organizations together internally here. We're going to push that. Yeah, I mean, it seems like Aurora is one of a, a um, maybe even less than a handful of companies that is um, so diverse in process and capability that it can serve on such a, a broad level um, customer needs. Do you agree yeah, with that? I, yeah, I really like the way that we're we're positioning it um, because you know some folks will, will fully want to integrate the. The, the marketing efforts, right? And so, but you, you, you get into, I mean, there's a little over 12,000 agencies today in the United mm -hmm. States. So when we talk about consolidation, you're, you're consolidating 12,000 and it's, it's almost a little too much. Yeah. Um, so I think on the execution and the distribution side of the business, it is going to be a little bit easier to consolidate that down. Um, and the way we're going to placate that is through an integration of services and systems. Um, and, it, and it's got to mean something to our customer. Right. And it can't just mean a one-time cost save uh, because a one-time cost save helps their business, but it will not transform any of our customers' businesses. So it's got to lead to, uh, to me, and ultimately a better consumer experience on their end, whoever their consumer is. <laughs> and um, so we're excited, about, we're, we're excited about where that's headed in the future. I know you, you know, you talked about um, sort of wide format, um, a lot of um, producing a lot of that information, that uh, product for retail. Um, how do you see the nature of retail changing these days? I know you said earlier, you know, post COVID things are different. How are they different? And, and how is that affecting um, not only the customers, but um, how involved they are, what they expect from a company like Aurora? Yeah, there's so many different consumer trends in the retail space, right? Uh, you know, buy online and do store pickups uh, that, that kind of emerged out of the, the pandemic. But I think the the biggest trend that we see right now is just every retailer is trying to redefine the customer experience. Mm -hmm. um, they're really trying to drive consumers to their stores because they recognize that while this, the consumer is going to transact in any channel they want, right? Whether it's, it's online through an app uh, or into the, to the brick and mortar uh, retail outlets that without a, strong customer experience mm -hmm. where the consumer has the opportunity to, to take in a variety of brands and brand experiences as part of that, that customer experience. Yeah. Um, that's, what's going to differentiate them. So they're no longer going to just go to the store to transact. And I think yeah. that was the mindset up until about, you know, really that first recession of 2008, 2009 uh, and the emergence of technology has, has enabled that. Right. I mean, we, we think the iPhone has been around for forever, but we forget it was only in 2007 that the iPhone Correct. came out. Um, and so think about it in the last 16 years, how far that technology has come. Yep. And so the, emergence, the emergency of QR codes, right? So now when you go into a store and you see a display, it's no longer just a, a, a multi-dimensional display that grabs your attention. 
But more often than not, there's the opportunity to scan a QR code and get fully immersed into what that brand is trying to do. Mm -hmm. Providing that bridge to the digital world, sort of. That's, yeah, it's the, we, we, we use the phrase omni-channel. I don't know. We've come up with a hundred different ways to talk about bringing the digital world and the physical world together. Um, shoot fire. I guess we're going to call it the metaverse if we're going to go <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, completely virtual reality, right? But uh, it is... It is an interesting time and, and the disruption that is happening with the consumer yeah. is uh, at such a pace that it's really hard for a lot of our brick and mortar retailers to stay up with. And, and that's the, the challenge. When you have over a th thousand plus stores and the market shifts, how do you move a thousand stores? Yeah, yeah. I, so based on your experience, then what? how are customers different? The customers going into retail, um, what is that experience they're reacting to um, positively? What what um, what are companies find actually is effective in engaging them? Oh, well, in the display and graphic side, we, we obviously like to think it's a, a lot of interactive displays that that carry a lot of depth and dimension. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of what we would call perceived movement, perceived light movement, and um, but I think more from the consumer standpoint, you know. We used to go to the store and you could try on five different pairs of shoes and, you know, inevitably they could go to the back room and you, you had a pair of shoes right there. Yeah. I think today, many times when we go to the store, we know they're not going to have our size, um, but we really look to, to have a tangible interaction with the brand mm -hmm. um, and whether it's conscious or subconscious. And I think the subconscious is where a lot of our graphics play uh, that that brand is top of mind. So when the consumer is ultimately in need the, the shoelace on their, their workout shoe breaks, now they're ready to go online and they're going to procure that brand that they interacted with at the store level. They're just going to do it uh, very quickly off of their iPhone or, or Android device. Mm -hmm. Hey, um, I know um, uh, looking at the Aurora website, you know, that you offer online portals for customers of yours. To what degree are those being used for um, uh, sort of day-to-day bread and butter work versus doing stuff that is more specialized? Like how deep does that go? Uh, that's a really, really interesting observation. Um, I would think in the next three to five years, the vast majority of our service will be done through technology with our customers. And mm -hmm. if you just take your consumer life, you know, when you book a, uh, an airline ticket, you don't call the reservation desk anymore, right? Rarely nope. do you. You still could if you really wanted to. Uh, you, but you, you, primarily... don't, you don't want to talk to them <laughs> usually. And, and, and that's exactly right. See, that's the trend that's taken place. Back to the question that you asked earlier around mm -hmm. the buyer. Um, they're younger and they, they would prefer to interact with their technology than they actually would prefer to have a phone conversation or a video call or heaven forbid, a face-to-face -face meeting. Right. Um, so the role that technology is going to play is, is really important. Our Aurora Connect system really enables the, the customer to do quick releases from inventory, check inventory positions. Um, but we've got some, some unique capabilities in there where they're enabled to you know, build templates for signage, whether they're floor graphics, windows, posters, end caps, um, and enable them to edit the fields that mm -hmm. are variable print fields in there so that they can placate to the trend around personalization. Yeah. Uh, and localization. And so that's embedded into the technology. But as far as truly upfront design and creative services, that's not on our portal yet. Yeah. Uh, I can tell you it's on our strategic roadmap uh, because I really think that, um, you know, maybe we, we think about a movie analogy here with Iron Man and all the technology that he interacts with, right? When he's spinning things around in virtual space, I think our customers would love to build displays and graphics that way. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, we're not quite there yet. Uh, maybe it's a little bit science fiction, uh, but I do see that, 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 that ultimately technology is going to play a larger role in the upfront design and creative budget phase. And then ultimately that'll work its way through the, the back end of kitting and packing and all the way through delivery as well. Yeah, it seems to me that online portals like that, in addition to being convenient, um, also really are, are almost a deeper connection with key customers. You almost get more of those tentacles where you're connected to the uh, the customer and it, it becomes more difficult for them to to move to another provider because they are so integrated it, is, is that true well we always want the stickiness factor when we layer in technology right and then it needs yeah. to unplug from our service set and plug back into somebody else's yeah it's it's difficult but i don't think 
our intentions is not necessarily because we want to make the customer sticky. We want to enable technology because it's the best solution for our customer and it makes mm -hmm. us more efficient and derives a lower cost platform. And when you're a lower cost platform, obviously we can de de uh, deliver lower cost solutions back to our customers. So I, I know Aurora, Aurora offers services from creative all the way through fulfillment using offset, digital, screen printing, flexo, um, you know, a lot of things under the sun. Uh, so is this like kind of a one-stop shop approach uh, to attract lots of different types of customers or is it more a way to serve large customers in a big integrated way? Um, it's a little bit of both to be, okay. to be honest. Uh, the, the, the platform is set up obviously to serve large customers. Um, you know, that's, that's how the acquisitions came about. It was strategic from a geographical standpoint, as well as a capability standpoint. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, it is nice to be able to provide, you know, the vast majority of the output on our own platform and own assets. Um, I don't think anybody's ever going to be able to produce everything. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if you get into acrylics, we're going to outsource, you know, injection molds and, and various other acrylics because that's not who we are. Yeah. Um, but the, the fact that we can control, let's say, 80% of that um, manufacturing and assembly under our roof, I think that gives us a, a pretty good strategic advantage. So we only have to go to the market to source specialty items. Yes. Uh, but it, it really does placate on both sides of that model, you know, where it's a one-stop shop for, for a lot. But on the other side, it's really structured and geared to support those big national accounts um, that in our world are five, 10, $15 million type customers. Okay. So since most of the people listening to this podcast are going to be from um, other wide format producers and um, a vast, vast majority of them are much smaller. Um, uh, what do you think smaller wide format producers could do, um, could learn the most from an operation like Aurora? And is there one key piece of advice you'd give to those who are wanting to grow their businesses and flourish? Uh, well, one we talked on earlier, right, which is a, a cultural value here at Aurora, which is being obsessed around your customers. Um, I have a little saying that nine times out of 10, the answer to your problems are not inside your walls. Uh, the answer to the problems are in the marketplace with our customers and the goals, the objectives, the pain points that they're trying to overcome in a very disruptive world. And uh, if we continue to put our focus on solving those, the things that happen inside our walls will, will be that much easier. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, uh, you do have to you do have to be honest with yourself in today's world and look at your efficiencies. Um, yeah. I think a lot of small players tend to buy a piece of equipment for one customer and they don't think through how they're going to scale that solution across either multiple customers or industry segments. And so for the small players out there, don't buy one-off pieces of equipment for one customer. Um, if you're going to do that, source that part of the solution to the marketplace. Um, if you can buy equipment and it's going to serve a multitude of customers or a multitude of different industries, that's where you're going to get the best return on your asset mix. Um, and what do you see as some of the strongest growth opportunities in wide format today? I know there's a lot of focus on SEG, on textile printing. What, what are you seeing in the, in the market for wide format? Yeah, uh, SEG is is really huge for us as a, a major priority. Um, you know, we, we've got in the promotional graphic space, probably, if not the largest, right up there with the largest um, output capabilities with the, the multitude of Regianis that we have to do disimulation. Uh, uh, additionally, we can print direct onto a lot of the fabric as well through our, our digital presses. Um, so fabric is certainly an, an interesting space and mm -hmm. it's bridging that world between what used to be a temporary graphic right. to now being a semi-permanent graphic provides an upscale look, uh, an upscale, upscaled um, multi-dimension. When you put it into the actual frame, you're no longer just flat to the surface as a two-dimensional object. You actually got a little depth and character there from a three-dimensional output. Right. So fabric is, is certainly a, a big one. I think we're going to continue to see events. Um, grow from a graphic space, whether they are concert venues, uh, whether they are sporting events, um, whether they're association events, you know, mm -hmm. 
not the old day trade associations like when you go to McCormick Center in Chicago, right. but more consumer led events. I think we're going to see a lot of opportunity for large format graphics there as uh, brands and organizations try to create, you know, a consumer experience outside of a, a brick and mortar retailer. Yeah. Do you see as event, events as back? Are they back after COVID? They're close. They're close. They're close. Okay. I think if we just take uh, some of the most recent sporting events like the Australian Open and some of the NFL playoffs, um, it certainly looks as though events are, are, are fully back from a sporting event perspective. And that tends to be a leading barometer, if you will, as to whether or not the rest of stuff has, has come back. And do you think there is, um, let, just sticking with events for a minute, do you think there is opportunity, um, let's say there aren't more events, but there is more opportunity for more graphic placement within all types of events? Yeah, absolutely. That's the size of the uh, pie is growing at each one of those events. Mm -hmm. uh, you're seeing graphics everywhere. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a great revenue stream for advertisers for, for the events themselves. Um, but the the brands that get it right really are the brands that differentiate at those events, right? And they're not just, you know, a two-dimensional sign, you mm -hmm. know, on a billboard. Um, they're creating, you know, an immersed ex consumer experience that, you know, is uh, enveloping this, all the senses from, you know, not just what we see, but how they touch it, mm -hmm. uh, how they interact with it. So, um, yeah, there, there's a, you're going to see that, that trend, I think, personally, yeah. really continue. And, and it's going to collide with um, the screen world as well, because you're going to start to see uh, augmented reality coming into these events where, you know, the screen might be what you're, you're watching, but all the graphics that surround, right. That event is what brings it to life. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that idea to not only um, uh, touch the sensory, but also the, the emotional um, is, is huge. Uh, if companies can, sort of uh, tap that opportunity. Um, going back to sort of um, shared experiences right now, um, and a lot of people are sharing this right now, but um, for Aurora Visual, like how do you see the challenges facing the industry today? And that would be economic uncertainty, labor shortages and supply chain. How, how is that affecting the company? Because I know pretty much everybody I talk to is struggling with it um, one way or another. Yeah, I was traveling last week and I said to a colleague, because um, they said, when do you think we're going to get back to normal? And I said, I, I don't think they're, you know, I, I've been in this industry almost 30 years. Um, what was normal, you know, 25 years ago, five years before that wasn't. And it seems like, you know, every generation that goes by, we, we long for the yesteryear mm -hmm. uh, instead of embracing the disruptive state. Right. And so right. supply chain. Um, you know, the disruption in supply chain was we were too vested in just in time when a worldwide pandemic hit. Um, at the same time, we're at a crossroads with consumers demanding that we utilize and lever more sustainable materials. Um, so that's that's really the disruptive state of supply chain. And so how are you going to solve for that? Mm -hmm. That's really the question, because uh, to hope that it's just going to go back to what it was, it's not going to happen. Um, the labor okay. market. You know, uh, we're in the in the litho world. Operators are at a premium, right? The, oh, they're absolutely. aging out. I mean, yeah. how many kids in college or high school raise their hand and say, "I want to run a printing press"? Mm -hmm. um, and the year or two that it takes to get trained on a device like that. So the labor shortage is is certainly going to be a challenge. But I think um, the emergence of new printing methodologies and technologies actually makes it easier to operate a piece of equipment. And oh, so yeah. as yeah. As litho comes down and digital continues to go up, if you know how to work an iPad or a touchscreen, you know how to be a press operator now. Right. Innovation um, is having such a key um, factor in, in some of the labor challenges. Yeah. Uh, look, my biggest fear is 10 years from now when a lot of the labor force starts to age out. Um, there's going to be, when, when you think about that next generation that's going to retire, mm -hmm. the, the housing, the medical, the entertainment, um, just the food and beverage that it's going to take to support that segment. Yeah. The number of workers that are going to be leaving, there's not that workforce coming in. And so we're going to continue to be challenged on the labor front. I think people need to be a, a destination uh, for your employees. Um, you're going to have to change the viewpoint on, on how we treat them, how we mm -hmm. develop them. Um, yeah. The HR side of, of all industry, not just in particular into the large format graphics space, but in all industry is going to be really challenging the next 10 or 15 years.
Yeah. Fascinating times ahead. Well, Scott, uh, thank you so much for talking to me today. It's great to hear more about Aurora Visual and uh, wish you a great year ahead. Dan, really appreciate, uh, really appreciate the time today. Uh, love what you guys do to support our industry and uh, bring in attention to it. And more importantly, bring in some, some knowledge to it as we hopefully can you know, steer that younger generation uh, into this space. So again, thanks for having me today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. Stay tuned for my conversation with Denise coming up next. Denise, thank you so much for joining me again on the podcast. I love having you. I love having you on. It's always fun chatting with you. It is. It is. I, I love chatting with you. So um, today I wanted to talk to you about a couple of things. Um, you know, Dan just had that conversation with Scott that I think was incredibly valuable. Um, hearing from the leader on our uh, WFI 150 list this year. So can you, you know, you're the editor in chief of Wide Format Impressions and the editorial director of our group. Um, and so, you know, tell me about the Wide Format Impressions 150. What is it? How many years has it been going now? And, you know, what's the main purpose of sharing a list like this? So this is our fifth year that we've been doing this list. And um, to me, it's always interesting to see, you know, who are some of the largest wide format shops. And honestly, in the industry, everybody wants to know what everybody's doing. So, you know, it's like, you know, the keeping up with the Joneses thing. So it kind of provides a benchmark for um, companies within the industry to kind of say, hey, I'm kind of about the same size as this company or that company. And, oh, well, they have this many millions. I'm only at this. What can I do to get that same kind of profitability um, and revenue? So it kind of gives you an idea of kind of where you stand um, in the industry. And uh, one thing that I think is really interesting or unique about the list that we do. I know like PI does their 300 list. And again, it includes, you know, multitudes of commercial printers, of course, but there's packaging printers, there's wide format printers. It's, it's a vast majority because of all the convergence in the industry. Everybody is living in an, everybody else's back pocket. They're doing so many different applications. So for the wide format one, you know, we pull a lot of the data Well, we pull all of the data from the PI one, but we then do um, a sort um, just to make sure that we're only focusing on wide format applications. And so for me, wide format applications is basically anything that can be done on a wide format printer. So, I mean, you'll have POP and POS signage, you know, vehicle graphics, signs, displays, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, there's so many different things that can be done. Um, so we, you know, we get all of that information and then we sort it. So it's always interesting for me to see where some of the companies, especially those that might originally or, you know, traditionally come from packaging or from commercial to really see where they stand in terms of their wide format output. For some companies, it's a division, some companies it might be a small department, or it's just part of their, their normal go-to. But over the years, it's just interesting to see how that segment, that wide format printing and sign and graphics has grown. Mm -hmm. And so this is a way to keep track of how it's grown, how it's changing, how the market is continuing to evolve, and how convergence really is alive and well, especially when you start looking at this market segment. Right. And I, I seem to remember some circumstances where there have been companies that have marked, you know, that they're doing um, POP or they're doing some sort of wide, what we know as is going to be wide format printing. Um, but, you know, they didn't list themselves as a wide format printer. Then when you do the outreach, you realize they're, they're doing a significant amount of wide format printing. Is that, did you see that at all this year? Every year. We see that every year. Um, you know, it's interesting because like under other, they'll put, you know, large format or they'll put POP. And I'm like, no, large format, wide format, same thing. So right. um, two different ways of determining or, or saying the same thing. So, or they'll put grand format. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's just, it's some people just don't track things that way and they don't think of it that way. We've also had others that have not listed that they do wide format applications and yet they list that they have wide format equipment. Right, right. So, I mean, in some cases, some have come back and they say, hey, we really don't track things that way or we don't, you know, so we can't offer you like a percentage. Um, but more or less, you know, we've been able to reach out and, and find out exactly, oh, yeah, no, no, that is wide format. So, you know, 
yes, that should be, you know, should be under that wide format uh, division. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And something that I like um, that, that you do with wide format impressions is you also do those other lists that yes. are, are along with the, the wide format 150. So can you kind of talk about that a little bit? Sure. So um, it's always interesting to see like sales by employee or sales by location numbers. Um, Cause that sometimes gives you an idea of how well um, a company is doing just profitably, you know, how much, you know, how much revenue comes from each employee that you have on board. So like, it's a good indicator too. So if you have to add more staff or whatnot, you know, what's that, how that ratio is going to change. I'm not an economist. I am not a financial person, <laughs> Yeah, but it is interesting to see that you could have two, two companies that, you know, one might have, you know, a lot of employees and a ton of revenue. And then you have another company that is a smaller, maybe a midsize, but their sales per employee is better than what the top company is doing just because they might need a lot more support staff in order to get everything done. So it's just, like I said, it's interesting to see yeah. those numbers. Same thing with, you know, locations or plants, um, you know, on average, what is the, you know, the output per plant, mm -hmm. you know, if you have one versus, you know, five, six, seven, eight, I mean, we have a number of them that have a number of different locations. Um, and then the other thing I'd like to also pull out is the franchise numbers. Um, because the wide format market has a number of franchise organizations that support or provide wide format printing and graphic services. So in our list, I know in the PI list, they do include the corporate numbers on the main list. I have decided not to do that. I really want to do more of an apples to apples comparison because a franchise is very different from, you know, ABC company wide format printer. Right. Um, it's a different role. It's a, it's a different business model. It's different. So I'm trying to do a little bit better of a, an apples to apples comparison. So that's why I pull out the corporate um, and compare the corporate franchises to each other because they have a similar business structure, but that also then opens up the wide format list to include individual franchise locations. So, you know, Fast Signs 101 or Fast Signs 592, whatever the number is or whatever the location is, because some of those companies are doing gangbusters. Mm -hmm. Over the years, I've seen a number of them that um, eventually have moved away from the franchise and become an independent. And I mean, they're, you know, doing, you know, 10, 12, 14, 15 million, even under the franchise structure, they're mm -hmm. doing that well. Um, so it's interesting just to see again, to be able to let those franchises stand on their own, um, because they're doing the work. So, right. and they are competing with the independent, you know, printing company that's down the street. So really to give them a better benchmark of how they do and how they compare. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it gives a, you know, seeing all of that gives it a clearer picture. So I, I think it's really beneficial. Um, so let's talk about, um, Dan's conversation with Scott. So um, one of the things that I want to talk to you about is something we've, you know, covered a lot in this industry. Um, Scott mentioned that some of the decisions that they made, you know, to their facility and whatnot are based on a focus on sustainability. Um, it's also something that you mentioned in your trends piece that ran in the JanFeb um, issue of wide format impressions. So can you talk about that the the issue of sustainability and how, why you know some interesting things that you've seen wide format companies doing to meet their sustainability goals. Sustainability is an interesting thing because it comes from two different locations. So you can have it coming from um, a facility standpoint. Um, so we can talk about that. You know, making sure that you have recycling programs, making sure that you know everything is being done. Part of it's also following like EPA or OSHA guidelines. Mm -hmm. um, you know, do you have LEDs? Um, lights as opposed to incandescent. I mean, there's so many little things that can go into when you're talking about sustainability for a facility. So there's that piece of it. And then there's the other piece in terms of materials used. And so that tends to be a little bit more client focused. So what is the client looking to do? I mean, you look at some of the big brands, they have their own sustainability goals. Um, you look at like Nike's or some of those they have, or even Walmart, actually, they have specific things that they want their partners to have. So they, they probably want that, not probably, but they want their partners to have 
um, sustainable facilities, to be doing things in a sustainable or green or environmentally friendly way. Mm -hmm. So that's the facility part, but they also want to be using, you know, some recycled products or products that are more environmentally friendly that might, you know, be compostable or other things. Um, but in the, in the article, I did ask in about some of the trends that people were seeing and Maureen uh, Gumbert, who's actually the marketing director over at Aurora mentioned something very interesting. And she says that 70% of companies are falling short of their sustainability goals, which is, you know, in terms of like their clients. So then for a PSP, the question is how can a PSP or a print shop help their clients meet those sustainability goals? So I know, you know, Scott went into some details, but I mean, it's just amazing to see what they're doing in terms of their facility. You know, they have four Reggiani dye sub presses. They are introducing sustainable fabrics. Um, one of their fabrics is made of 100% recycled PET water bottles. Mm -hmm. So this is a shop that is actually creating something that can help their clients. So then that's the question. I mean, not all companies are large enough to be able to do that kind of thing, but can you source that kind of fabric or textile or paper or substrate? There's a number of companies in the media space um, on the wide format side that offer, I mean, I've seen so many different that are made from, you know, recycled water bottles or, you know, other things. I mean, then there's the question of what do we do with billboards when we're bringing them down or building wraps? Mm -hmm. How are we moving forward with, you know, reusing, you know, the old vinyls? You know, can we, I know there's, there's companies now that are making bags and other things yep. out of, you know, old billboards, mm -hmm. but it's keeping all of that in mind. And sustainability is one, it, it's a, it's a hard topic. I have to say, everybody wants to do it by and far, you know, over the years, everybody has wanted to be involved in sustainability, but in many cases, probably until a little bit more recently, a lot of brands said, yes, yes, yes. I want sustainability. I want sustainability. PSP would come to them. Okay. We have traditional vinyl. It's at, you know, 10 cents a foot versus, you know, this nice recycled, which is meets all of your goals, but it's going to be 50 or 60 cents a foot. And they're like, mm, no, let's just go for that old vinyl. Cause they're looking at price at that point. Right. Um, so the question is how can you become more of a partner and work with, you know, your customer to, you know, look, we're trying to help you meet your goals. You need to meet your goals. This is a way that you can do it. Some of the prices have come down, which is good, but again, it's still, there is still a price difference. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's definitely probably top of mind for a lot of businesses. Um, you know, this kind of plays off of that, what we just talked about. Um, and it's something that, um, Scott mentioned focusing on the customer. And as, as you just said, you know, focusing on the customer, their wants and needs. Um, so Scott kind of talked about focusing on the customer and innovation to drive growth. So is that something that you've noticed? Definitely. Um, actually in the same issue, we had, um, Marcon, um, talked about some of the um, mergers and acquisitions that specifically are going on and some of the trends that he's seeing. And I mean, you know, just reading his, his piece, it just emphasized what I'm just seeing anecdotally within the industry. I mean, you can look and you just see, you know, I mean, from, you know, Olympus last year purchased screaming images. Again, that was an addition of a facility in a key location for them um, because Olympus is in the Midwest, but Screaming Images is in Las Vegas and it provides a huge access to the trade show market. So, you know, a lot of companies that are looking for key, they're looking for maybe for key uh, capabilities. So maybe they're looking for a company that does a specific thing. So maybe they're looking for, they're looking to get in textile. So they might look for a company that has a large presence in textile and move into that, you know, into that way. Um, others, they're looking for locations. You know, they want to get into trade shows. They're already serving the trade show markets, but they have to ship in. Shipping is just so expensive. Right. How can they be low? How can they be closer? You know, then, you know, that's the question there. You look at, you know, Las Vegas, just look at the, the bounty of trade shows that are going on between the convention center and then 
all the, all of the hotels more or less have their own meeting zone space. They have their own convention space. You can have, you know, a dozen or so conventions going on in one weekend or one week. And all of those need signage. All of those need graphics, directional, you know, whatever they need so much, you know, that goes around with it. You know, in addition to the wide format stuff, there's all the small format, you know, program guides and sell sheets. And I mean, there's so much that goes into it. Mm-hmm. It's a huge market. So again, if you don't have to ship it and worry about shipping times and is it going to get there on time? Is the weather going to delay it? Is there enough drivers to get it there? And then just the cost of air freight, of course, it makes a whole lot of sense. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, some of the other things that we've seen, you know, uh, Mark brought out that um, MA activity within wide format increased 46% compared to 2021. Um, for over last year. So we see there is a real big push in that market to um, to really move into that. And again, it, it's finding ways to augment their company, mm-hmm. finding ways to um, quickly ramp up if they're looking to get into new markets. Mm-hmm. Um, again, all things that we've seen across the board. Um, Mark's article is really great. I do have to say um, he brings out a couple of really good examples of what's going on. I mean, you can even see um, crisp imaging. They are, a, a, a they came from the Reaper side. He, he didn't mention them, but, um, it's something that I've just been noticing is that they have been on a buying spree over the yeah. last several years. They keep, you know, they've gone from a handful of locations. I think they have 20 now. Um, yeah. they're not on our list yet, so I need to get them on our list, but it's something <laughs> that I've just been observing. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be really interesting to see and hear from them, as to what exactly, why, what's, what's, what are they doing? What are they, I think part of it is just because they're in the LA area. If it's local. It's better. We yeah. both know we did the road to printing United last yeah. year and we know what the traffic is like, Yes, you know, to be able to go to a local facility that you don't have to worry about sitting in an hour or two of traffic to get mm-hmm. something, to pick something up or get something delivered. Holy crap. That was just, yeah. Yeah. Traffic was horrible. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I mean, I think that's the case with any industry or, or, you know, any consumer people generally, I think want to stay local. You know, there's always that saying of like shop local, stay local. So mm-hmm. supporting your local businesses is always, you know, a, a plus, I think. Another thing that came up was something we've talked about over and over again, um, and it's incredibly important. So, you know, that's why it keeps coming up, but it's regarding supply chain, labor shortage, and economic uncertainty. And Scott said something specifically that really stuck out to me, which is that every generation that goes by, we long for yesteryear instead of embracing the disruptive state, which I loved how he put that together. So thoughts on that? We always say that. Oh, remember when? I mean, right now we're going, you know, oh, Mm pre-pandemic, you know, oh, that was pre-pandemic. That was when things were different. I think one thing I think we're forgetting at this point is that we're looking, many companies are looking to go back to the way things were pre-COVID. This is the normal now. I think that's part of it. You know, will some things get better along the way? Yes. I mean, we've already seen shipping costs coming down from, you know, for crates coming from, from Asia, um, you know, during the pandemic where they were like $30,000 to get one shipping crate come over. Mm-hmm. Now they're back down to four or five. So, I mean, we've seen some of those prices come down. Um, we've seen the, the availability, availability of raw materials has, has been better. Um, availability of substrates has gotten better. There's still some tight markets here and there, but it's gotten better across the board. Um, But I mean, there's still, but companies now have exercised that muscle in how to be able to make informed decisions and find alternatives. That was one of the things that I think was the hardest when we moved into COVID and we started having all these problems is we were so used to always having stock available. You call up your media supplier and say, hey, I need XX media. No problem. I'll get that shipped out to you tomorrow. They always had it in stock. Now we didn't have that because people were not working. They weren't able to convert the products that were needed um, or they were on a limited staff. So companies had to find alternatives. And in some cases that did open us up to sustainable products because the sustainable products were available. Mm. 
And at that point, I remember talking with one shop, you know, he, he, you know, he was giving his client his options. He goes, well, we can go for this, you know, paper, which is not really what you want, but this is only the only thing that we can get. And it's, you know, X price, or if you don't mind waiting a couple of weeks, I can get you a paper that's actually better than what you want. And it's happened to be sustainable, whatever. It's like, which, which one do you prefer? They're still going to, they're both going to take a couple of weeks and they ended up going with the better paper. Yep. But, you know, it was going to make, you know, the other, the, the, the lower end paper was okay. Wasn't going to be really good for what they, but it was a, it was an option if they were looking at cost and mm -hmm. price. So, yeah. So, I mean, supply chain, um, has gotten better across the board. Is it back to where it was? No. Well, I think it'll get back to where it was. I think this is, this is kind of, I think this is the new, the new balance mm -hmm. in some ways. Um, labor shortages that has been a pain point for years. It's not changing and it, it's tough because you look at like the job markets and you see, in January, we added what, 517,000 jobs in January. And then you kind of go, but not in printing. Right. It, it's really tough because um, the unemployment rate is so low. There's not as many people looking, mm -hmm. which means that there's a smaller pool. And then most people don't, you know, in, you know, stick the, their hand up and say, Hey, I want to run a press when I grow up, or I want to do, you know, XX in the printing industry. I mean, part of it is there's a whole perception issue about the printing industry that we have to get over. Um, I, I still remember last year they did the, the New York times did a piece on the production of a best-selling novel and it's an offset process. Is it dirty? Yes. It, you know, you're using inks, you're using things, but that's what they wanted. That's what they focused on. So like all the pictures are showing, you know, the pressmen in, you know, dirty aprons and they have ink on their fingers. And it's just, it's just, that's not the full industry. And I think that's, it's not that it's disingenuous, but it's, it's frustrating because you don't have, you only have that one perception or viewpoint. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I've talked with people, they're like, you know, women in charge of companies, they're like, I get my nails done every week. I don't have to worry about like breaking or chipping a nail. I don't have to worry about ink staining my hands because that's not how we work. We are a very clean shop. You know, all the processes we do are very clean, but that hasn't translated. Right. Right. And I think, um, you know, we've talked a lot about like the program Fresh Artists based yeah. in Philadelphia, the nonprofit. Um and when I was speaking with them, one of the things that came up is, you know, we try to, you know, bring awareness to the printing industry and talk with students who are already in college or, you know, maybe in high school, but it probably needs to start before that, you know, when kids are thinking about oh, I want to be a firefighter. I want to be a cop, you know, kind of that age range, the middle school age range, or, you know, younger than high school when they're not already deciding where they want to go to college or if they want to go to college and instead thinking, Hey, maybe I can go to, to trade school or I can do an apprenticeship or I can do something, you know, along those lines and, or maybe deciding college isn't right for them. And, and they want to, you know, go into a different type of industry. Um, and so, you know, maybe it's that it starts younger than where we're trying to target mm -hmm. people. I mean, a perfect example would be Cassie Green. She's the um, content director and apparelist. And last weekend, her family went to a local screen printer because they were doing um, a special program. And her two kids, one of, you know, they're both in school, but they're both young, got to actually screen print their own t-shirts. And actually they got to go through the process and they were excited about being able to create something, you know, yep. their design, whatever, learn how to do it. And they finished and they brought home some tangible object. Yeah. How, cool. how, how, how often do we do that? Um, I know other shops have brought, you know, kids in, you know, and shown them that, you know, they can make banners or whatnot. 
and in some ways it blows their minds. We need to blow those minds of those younger generations just to get them somehow involved in that. I mean, it's a mat. Yes, it is a manufacturing process. It's not always pretty, but um, if we're not talking about it, if we're not promoting it about really the creativity part of it, it's, I think we're, you know, I think that's a big loss and a big um, miss on our end, but how to get, you know, how to get into those. That's, that's a whole topic in and of itself. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll do a, um, an episode on the show about, about that. Yeah, maybe we will. And then, um, with economic uncertainty, I mean, honestly, no matter what it's, there's so much going on, uh, in the world as large. So it's really no surprise that we see uncertainty in the economic markets, um, but what I thought was interesting um, as part of the trends piece that I talk, we did is that one company mentioned that um, they're in good position. You know, they're financially stable. They're worried about their customers, which is an interesting to think about because, you know, a lot of times you don't think, oh, well, it's the print shops are having the problems, but no, they're financially stable, but it's some of the shops, uh, some of their customers, especially in the retail side that they're worried about. I mean, we've seen headlines about Macy's closing stores, about, um, you know, Bed Bath & Beyond. uh, Yes, Bed Bath & Beyond might be closing or going bankrupt or, I mean, we've seen that over the years, but it seems to be accelerating a little bit. Um, I know even, you know, malls are emptying out, they're closing, there's not enough stores. I know here in the Providence area, there's a mall not far from me. Um, and they're talking about changing the mall over into um, a whole apartment complex city thing because they just, all their anchor stores are, are leaving. And it's just one empty like ghost town, which is really sad, you know, compared to what it was, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Right. Honestly, what it was 10 years ago. Um, but it, it's kind of, it, it's sad and it may be funny in a way when there's an opportunity in retail to provide clearance or stores closing signs. Um, unfortunately, that's true because of that. So it's just interesting, you know, for some some of these print shops to be wondering, should I extend financial credit to these companies if they are going out of business? You know, how are they working with these companies that maybe have been, you know, pillars years before that are now on shaky ground? Mm-hmm. Um Again, it's just an interesting way to think about it and for shops to think about, you know, the financial stability and, and viability of their customers. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, I, I would imagine that's a, a difficult spot too, because, you know, I know there's a, um, you know, some companies talk about wanting to be transparent with, you know, how they're doing transparent with their customers, but, you know, does it go both ways? Is it always clear that uh, a PSP's customer is stable. It might not be. I mean, I mean, the only way I guess to go about it is trying to keep those lines of communication open and and keep that relationship really strong with your customers. But I'm sure it's a difficult spot to be in. Oh, goodness. I couldn't imagine having to have that conversation with a customer about, you know, great, we'll be able to do this for you. But, you know, are you guys going to be in business in the next three months? So you'll be able to pay your bills upon 90 days? Or, you know, do we have to accept, you know, credit or, you know, it's, you know, do you extend that financial credit to them and hope that you'll get paid in some instances? Um, Cause that's not good for business either. So, right. I mean, it, yeah, it's, like I said, it's interesting in some ways because some, a lot of these companies that, especially that are on the top 150 are very strong. Mm-hmm. They're very financially stable. They are run very, very well. Um, the business owners have done a really good job of using technology and using automation, using their people in you know, key roles to make sure that everybody's used um, in the right way, You know that everybody's on the chessboard and everybody's playing their part to move them forward. So like I said, it's, it's always, it's always interesting to see what some of what's on the minds of, of folks. Um, and I was really glad that Dan was able to get that, the interview with Aurora to hear directly from Scott about, you know, how they're viewing the market. Yeah. Um, Cause you know, they are, they are a number one shop this year. Um, 
and they're huge. I mean, and they, it's, it's, I mean, you look at them, they're just celebrating, I think their 10th anniversary. Mm-hmm. They weren't around a decade ago and look where they are. I mean, look what they've able been able to accomplish. And a lot of their growth has been through acquisition. Right. Yep. Yeah. I think, um, and, and one of the things that I took away from the conversation as well is that, you know, it seems like they are solving for things and adapting mm-hmm. rather than just, you know, hoping that things will go back to the way they were, or, you know, waiting for things to change. They're, they're actively adapting and evolving to meet the needs of their customers and also, you know, adjust for things that are going on around them. And I think that's just great. Yeah. And I mean, with Aurora, obviously they have Aurora visual, which is their wide format side of things, but they have they're they're huge in packaging as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, they're much bigger in packaging than they are in wide format and there's still a tremendous number, but they're, they're actually looking to work together with their packaging division to help their customers. Um, one thing that they brought out is, um, for example, uh, Aurora can offer everything from corrugating packaging to promotional products, to cleaning supplies for our retail partners, in addition to printing and display graphics. So they're really looking to see to leverage all the other parts of their business to really offer a lot more services. And I guess, of course, and they're also grabbing more, you know, more pieces of the pie right. in that case. But mm-hmm. I think a lot of shops are, are moving along a similar line um, and some are not, but I, it can be good. It can be bad because mm-hmm. you don't want to offer too many things and you stretch yourself too thin either. So right. it's a yeah. balance. Yep. In some cases, you got to focus on the things that you, you do well and uh, offer those things to your customers. But it seems like Aurora is, uh, has got the right, the, is on the right track there. Yes, so. definitely. And like I said, they're a very interesting company and mm-hmm. it's, it's great to be able to hear from them directly. Yeah. Well, is there anything else you'd want to add to this conversation? I mean, we could probably keep talking for like oh, yeah. hours on end, Yes. but, um, <laughs> no, like I said, it's, this issue is always interesting to me, especially for, um, in wide format, the January, Feb, because we always tend to do it as a printout look. What's the year looking like? What are the trends? What do you need to look at? Um, and I think it's valuable to use that, you know, the beginning of the year to try to reset, to look ahead. Um, most of the companies in the U S uh, the print providers are on a, a yearly fiscal. So maybe some of this, Maybe some of this happens in December, but it's always good at the beginning of the year to kind of take a, take stock of where you are and what you need to do. Um, you know, what, you know, are you looking for CapEx? You know, how are you going to integrate that? How do you manage and, and, and handle, you know, another CapEx expenditure if you need to do that? You know, it's interesting just to start thinking about, you know, where, where do you want to go in the future? You know, so does, you know, if you're going to do a CapEx, you know, does that mean that you need to start talking to vendors? You know, does that mean you need to start planning trips to go to vendor locations or maybe one of our summits if you're really in the buying mood or, you know, is it, the printing united expo in the fall you know maybe i can wait till then to see some stuff you know you need to start making those plans um and then you know part of it you know there's new rules and regulations every year so then the question is you know are you asking yourself is my team up to date do we know everything we need to know um so you know who are my partners to help me understand that so obviously you know printing united alliance has a huge um in environmental and regulatory. Um, and it's always interesting to go and pick um, Gary's brain mm-hmm. about what's coming up. And we are going to have some stuff from him later in the year about some of the things to keep in mind for OSHA and making sure your facility is OSHA compliant, um, which is a huge, huge thing that we need to do. But again, it's all of these things that sometimes get pushed to the back burner because we're always in the middle of, oh, we got to get this job out. This is a rush job. This is just, but to take some time to do some planning, especially toward the beginning of the year is always good. So, yes. And, and you mentioned the summit. So, um, you know, I know the wide format summit's coming up later this year. So can you just tell our listeners if they are interested in, in, you know, trying to get involved with the wide format summit, where it is, when it is. So, um, it is in July, uh, end of July and, uh, Palm beach gardens in Florida, 
Um, it's like the PGA National uh, facility there. We had it there last year as well. And the summits are are an inv invitation only event. So if you as a print provider are in the buying process and you are actually looking to purchase within the next year, six to 12 months, um, this is really the place for you because you're going to get some really high level information as to trends and what's going on. Um, I'm one of the co-chairs for our wide format summit. So right now we're right now we're planning all the education. So, you know, high level of, you know, how do you make sure that you're in the right um, mindset in terms of your business, in terms of what you're providing? Um, we're planning to have um, Andy Paparozzi, who's our chief economist uh, for Printing United Alliance there with us to kind of talk about, about what are some of the must do's that you need to do to run your business to make sure that no matter what happens in terms of economics or supply chain or labor, whatever else is going on, what are the must do's to make sure that you stay above the fray and above the waves um, that could threaten to, you know, to really pull you under. So really, really good information and educational sessions. But in addition to that, you have the ability to talk one-on-one -on -one with the vendors um, that, and our sponsors that are there to really understand what they have to offer you and what's going to be a fit. I know in many occasions people have gone there and they said, oh, I'll take a meeting with this company. I don't know them. I don't really think I need anything from them, but I'm here, I'm going to learn. And they find out that that's exactly what I'm looking for. So it's, we've gotten some rave reviews about just being able to have the networking and the chance to talk and discuss with vendors, with the sponsors, but also with their peers. It's a really open sharing environment because it's all, you know, senior and C-suite that go. So it's really, it's a great event. And again, um, it is invitation only. So if you are interested in attending, uh, please visit a wide format summit and you can submit an application to be uh, considered to attend. Perfect. And I can include um, that information in the show notes as well. Thank you, Denise, so much for being here today, talking through trends, talking through the list. I think that it was just so uh, valuable um, and I hope to have you on the show again soon. I hope so as well. You always know where to find me. I do. I do. All right. Thanks, Ashley. The Wide Format Impressions 150 list will be available for download soon via wideformatimpressions.com. For more information about the Wide Format Summit that was discussed in today's show or about Printing United Alliance, check out the links in the show's description. I want to thank Dan, Scott, and Denise for participating in today's episode. And of course, I want to thank all of you, our listeners, for tuning in. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Impressions Exchange podcast. <laughs>